Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Big E here, and this is Law for Virginia Law Enforcement Officers. We're talking about the law that you need to know as a Virginia law enforcement officer, everything from constitutional law, new cases from the courts of appeals, uh, new statutes, and in fact, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We've been talking in the last few episodes about new cases from, uh, I mean, new statutes from the General Assembly in their special session. And this is part of a three-episode series. In the first episode, we talked about new statutes regarding use of force, uh, regarding search warrants. Uh, last episode, we talked a lot about hiring and decertification and civilian review boards. And this episode, we're going to be talking today about some of the last pieces of legislation that came out of the special session, and pretty significant ones regarding traffic stops and authority to stop vehicles, regarding marijuana investigations, a big one regarding jury sentencing, uh, and one about restrictions on equipment purchases, and then a really, really significant uh, statute that was passed on sentences and what happens to uh, defendants who are serving sentences for most of the crime, most of the felony offenses in Virginia, uh, with the exception of a handful of violent felonies. As always, uh, it's always worth reading the actual code sections, the actual sections that got passed by the General Assembly, but uh, today we're going to be highlighting the last few sessions, the last few bills that got passed, and I want to talk today uh, to begin with about a really big uh, change regarding traffic stops and also regarding uh, stops and investigations for marijuana. The code section that got passed regarding limitations on traffic stops was part of an omnibus bill in the Senate, but also a bill in the House that uh, ultimately the governor made some very small changes to, but did ultimately get passed and signed last week. And it creates a list of certain traffic offenses for which no law enforcement officer shall stop a, uh, a vehicle. So in other words, it's not that they've legalized the behavior, but they've said that even though the behavior is illegal, an officer cannot stop a vehicle for violation of one of these code sections. And it further provides that no evidence discovered or obtained as a result of that stop in violation of these sections, um, including if you obtain, you know, if you stop the vehicle for one of these sections and the person consented to a search, for example, uh, that no evidence discovered as a result of a stop for that shall be admissible in any trial hearing or other proceeding. Um, in fact, you, you couldn't even really bring the evidence in in a motion to suppress. So, uh, it's a pretty restrictive uh, view of these code sections. Again, it doesn't say that violation of one of these sections is lawful if you stopped a vehicle for some unlawful behavior and also one of these infractions took place, you could write a, you could write a summons for it, uh, but you can't stop a vehicle for a violation of these sections. So what are we talking about here? Uh, well, uh, here's a list of what they are. The first is a requirement to display two visible red taillights. Uh, that is no longer, if somebody violates that, you cannot uh, stop that vehicle for that. The code section's requirement for a supplemental high mount stoplight, uh, that is also uh, something for a violation of that code section. You no longer can stop a vehicle for that. Improper window tint is no longer a basis to stop a vehicle. Uh, if you stop a vehicle for improper window tint, any evidence that you obtain from violation of that uh, for, for that stop is not admissible, even if the person consents. Now, again, if you stop a vehicle for some other reason, running a red light, uh, then uh, and they also have improper window tint, you could write the uh, summons for that, but you can't uh, stop someone for that. You can no longer stop somebody for 
obstructed view. So uh, you know, there was a case a number of years ago about a person who had a parking pass hanging from their rearview mirror in such a way that it could obstruct their view. The court said that was a lawful stop. Now the General Assembly is stepping in and saying, no, it's not a lawful stop um, uh, because we're saying it's not a lawful stop. In addition, if you wanted to write somebody for a violation of the obstructed view code section, they now require that the view be substantially obstructed by the object. So it can't just be enough that you know the object partially obstructs the view. It has to substantially obstruct someone's view to write a, a summons for it. But either way, you can't stop a vehicle for violation of that code section. Um, non-working exhaust systems, you can, uh, and, and that includes noise from a motorcycle, moped, or motorized skateboard or scooter, uh, but also, of course, a motor vehicle. Uh, non-working exhaust systems in a motor vehicle or a uh, mo moped or whatever is not a basis to stop a vehicle any longer. Someone driving outside the scope or the terms of either their provisional driver's license or learner's permit is no longer a reason to stop a vehicle. Again, vehicle runs a red light, you find out the person is driving outside the scope of their provisional driver's license or learner's permit, you can write a summons for that. But if you stop a vehicle for that, for the, for the driving outside the scope, uh, any evidence obtained as a result of that will, is not admissible in any trial in the Commonwealth. Uh, they've taken away the authority to stop someone for driving on a provisional driver's license or learner permit while using a cellular telephone or any other wireless communications device, regardless of whether that device is or is not handheld. So interestingly, of course, in January, we're going to have this code section go into effect that says you can't have a cell phone, you're not holding a cell phone while driving. That code section, you could still make a stop for. But the provision that says that nobody can use a cell phone in any way, even if they're, whether they're driving or not, or whether they're holding the object or not, whether they're driving or not, you can no longer make a stop for that. Smoking with a child in a vehicle uh, and failure to wear a seatbelt, uh, no longer uh, you can no longer make a stop for that. Regarding the brake light requirement and regarding the headlight requirement, the governor did step in here um, and, uh, and, and there was some negotiation about this. So they dialed back what the original proposal was. Now, no law enforcement officer shall stop a motor vehicle, trailer, semi-trailer for violation of the requirement to have operational brake lights unless the vehicle displays no brake lights. So if the office, an officer can stop, you can stop a vehicle for not having any brake lights at all that meet the requirements to set by the code, um, and those that code section requires at least two brake lights. So if they have one brake light out, that's not a reason to stop them. But if they have no brake lights working, uh, and you certainly see this a good bit, unfortunately, then yeah, you can stop that vehicle. With regards to the headlights, similarly, there's a huge list of when you have to have your headlights activated, and the headlights have to be operational. Um, that's under 4621030. But uh, now, no law enforcement officer can stop a vehicle for violation of that code section, right? So this was a subject of great controversy because what it basically meant was that people could drive at night without headlights. Um, and uh, there was some you know, debate about whether or not they ever intended to allow people to drive around in the dark without lights on. But the governor stepped in and said, look, you, you got to let law enforcement stop people if they're driving at night without headlights. That's, that's kind of necessary. And, and the General Assembly ultimately relented and agreed. Um, although there was a lot of dissent uh, in the process, um, they, they, they now provide a law enforcement officer may stop a vehicle if it displays no lighted headlights during the time periods that are set forth in 462.10.30. So what are those time periods? Uh, well, the time periods set forth in 462.10.30 include from sunset to sunrise. 
So from sunset to sunrise, you have to have your lights on, and a law enforcement officer can still stop a vehicle for that. Um, it says during the time period set forth in subsection A of 1030, there are other time periods. I'm not sure if your local court is going to agree this is a time period or not, but 462.1030A also requires that you display your headlights during any time when, because of rain, smoke, fog, snow, sleet, insufficient light, or other unfavorable conditions, visibility is reduced to a degree whereby uh, persons or vehicles on the highway are not clearly visible at a dis uh, discernible at a distance of 500 feet. So it does say at a time. So I think there's a good argument that that's a time period and, uh, and, and headlights are still required. You can still stop a vehicle for not having that. Also, uh, subsection A requires headlights whenever windshield wipers are in use as a result of fog, rain, sleet, or snow, um, unless they're being used intermittently. I don't know that that's a time period. Uh, there's, the code is not, I mean, obviously they could have just made this clear by saying, you know, part one, two, or three, but they didn't. So it remains to be seen whether your court will agree that's a time period. If you stop a vehicle for, for not having headlights outside of those exceptions that I just mentioned, then again, the evidence would have to be suppressed by the court. The defective equipment code section was substantially changed. No law enforcement officer should stop a vehicle for violation of the defective equipment code section. Uh, that was made very clear. No evidence discovered as a result of a stop because of the defective equipment code section um, uh, shall be admissible in court. In addition to that, though, if you, again, stop a vehicle for running a red light and you're going to write a person a ticket for defective equipment, the code section has been substantially changed. It now says it shall be unlawful for any person to use or have as equipment on a motor vehicle any device or, uh, or equipment which is defective and in an unsafe condition. The old code section said defective or in an unsafe condition. So now to write a, a, a summons or a charge for that, you you have there has to be the fact that the um, that the the effective equipment is defective and also unsafe. Regarding the expired registration uh, section, now you may not stop a motor vehicle due to an expired registration sticker until prior to, uh, you may not stop the sticker prior to the first day of the fourth month after the original expiration date. So essentially people get a free pass for about three months. And then the first day of the fourth month, that's the first time that you can stop somebody for an expired registration sticker. If you stop them before that, no evidence is admissible uh, as a result of that stop. And with regards to the inspection, the same rule. So again, people essentially get a three-month uh, grace period. You shall not stop a motor vehicle due to an expired inspection sticker until the first day of the fourth month after the original expiration date. Again, vehicle runs a red light, you could write the ticket if they were one day over. But uh, if you're going to stop the vehicle for the expi expired registration, I'm excuse me, expired registration or inspection, it's not until the first day of the fourth month. Um, you may have a local ordinance on jaywalking, essentially, or you may be relying on the state code section on jaywalking, which requires, you know, that you that you cross in a certain place and that you not just step into traffic, uh, you know, just like from the sidewalk, just turn and walk into traffic in the middle of nowhere. Um, but both those code sections now have a provision that states that no law enforcement officer shall stop a pedestrian for violation of this section. So you may not stop a person for violation of the jaywalking ordinance or your local version of that ordinance. And no evidence discovered as a result uh, or a, a violation of the code section is admissible in court. And um, the... 
uh, General Assembly also stepped in and said no locality may provide that a violation of their local ordinance is a cause for stop or arrest when a stop for the similar ordinance in the state uh, is, is, is not allowed. So a lot of you have local ordinances on traffic and you may be thinking, well, I just read a code section, I just read a ticket on the local ordinance. Doesn't matter. If the state code doesn't allow you to stop a vehicle, then the local ordinance cannot allow you to stop a vehicle for that same reason. Um, and in fact, they also added a code section that says that no law enforcement officer shall stop a motor vehicle for a violation of a local ordinance relating to ownership or maintenance of a motor vehicle unless such violation is a jailable offense. So that is a very limited section because, uh, because of the Dillon rule, it would be very difficult to write a local ordinance regarding ownership or maintenance of a vehicle uh, if you want, and make it jailable if the state code did not prohibit it, so it did not allow that. So that is, um, that's gonna really severely limit your ability to stop people for local ordinances unless the state also allows the stop. By the way, I want to throw in a quick a note here. A listener reached out to me after I recorded and released this episode and asked me when these bills go into effect. And I realized when I first recorded this episode that I didn't explain that. So I just want to make clear for the record that almost all of these bills are going into effect on March 1st of 2021. So they're not in effect immediately. They take effect on March 1st of 2021. There are, there are a handful um, that don't directly impact law enforcement's everyday activities that don't go into effect until after that. But um, if you're concerned about the effective date of these bills, I encourage you to check them out online um, and, uh, and, and be aware that the dates uh, that they go into effect can, can, can depend. The ones as far as the traffic stops and the one I'm going to talk about in a second about marijuana, that's March 1st of 2021 when they begin. The General Assembly also further removed law enforcement's ability to intervene in marijuana situations. Now, you may remember that we talked earlier in this podcast, in an episode, I don't know, 20 episodes ago, um, about under decriminalization, may law enforcement still stop a person or stop a vehicle or search a vehicle based upon the odor of marijuana. And we concluded that, that, that an officer could under decriminalization because possession is still unlawful. And it is still the case that the courts of appeals in Virginia and Supreme Court have still found that the odor of marijuana is probable cause that somebody's in possession of marijuana or that marijuana is located in the place. So we came to that conclusion. But in light of that, the General Assembly then stepped in uh, in the special session and wrote a code section that says that no law enforcement officer may lawfully stop a person or search a person or seize a person based solely on the odor of marijuana. And no law enforcement officer can stop a thing, uh, search a thing, or seize a thing, uh, solely based on the odor, basis of the odor of marijuana. And no law enforcement officer can search or seize a place solely based on the odor of marijuana. And further, the good General Assembly has again said, I hear no evidence discovered uh, pursuant to a violation of this subsection uh, that required <clears throat> that, you know, this, this, this limitation of authority um, shall be admissible in a trial hearing or other proceedings. So if you were to stop someone or see someone based upon a, just only the smell of marijuana, or if you, basically, if you searched a car based solely on the odor of marijuana, and that was your only reason for the search, uh, then this code section would provide that that search, that no evidence from that search is admissible uh, in any hearing. 
So this uh, is obviously a challenge and it raises a lot of questions. So let's kind of take this apart for a second. What they're saying is you can't lawfully stop, search, or seize based solely on the basis of the odor of marijuana. So it doesn't say that odor of marijuana is no longer a factor, right? It doesn't say you have to ignore the odor of marijuana. It says that you have to have the odor of marijuana plus something else. One thing the General Assembly can't do is it can't legislate the Constitution, right? The Constitution is the supreme law of the land, it's under the Fourth Amendment, and the courts are the ones who decide what is and isn't probable cause. The General Assembly here is not saying, because they can't say, that the odor of marijuana is not probable cause, right? They're not able to do that. The only way to do that would be to legalize marijuana and legalize it completely, right? Which they're not willing to do right now. So what they've said is, Basically, it's an evidentiary rule, not a constitutional rule, but an evidentiary rule. A law enforcement officer has to have the odor plus some other fact for that evidence to be admissible. You cannot search based solely on the odor. You have to have some other fact. What would be the other fact? Um, you know, if you look at the cases regarding search and seizure, you always see courts talking about the other kinds of factors that can lead an officer uh, to lawfully search somebody or lawfully see something. What are those factors? Everything from furtive gestures to, uh, you know, rolling papers, or you actually see stems and seeds, or you see evidence of marijuana use, or um, the person makes statements that indicate the person is in possession of marijuana. The person gives some kind of visual indication that they're uh, that they are intoxicated with marijuana. All those types of things. If that is if your basis for the search, if your basis for the seizure is the odor of marijuana and some other fact, then uh, you would be in compliance with this code section. And certainly if you're somebody who's a canine handler, if you're handling a dog and you're wondering, okay, well, what happens to my dog? My dog is trained on the odor of marijuana and the odor of you know, methamphetamine and heroin and cocaine and several other drugs. Uh, there's two issues here, I think, going on that are worth addressing. The first is there's an argument, and again, your courts are going to be the ones who are going to have to decide this. There's an argument that if your dog is giving you an alert, it's not an alert that, it's not an indication that um, of a particular drug. In other words, a dog doesn't bark once for marijuana and bark twice for cocaine and bark three times for heroin. Maybe it does, I don't know, but I've never seen a dog that does that. Uh, and so there's an argument that says, well, it's not solely on the basis of marijuana odor, it's, it's on the basis of you know, all these other things. That's one issue. Um, and it remains to be seen whether your courts will agree with that or not. The other more conservative approach, I think, that you could take, the one that would more assure that your evidence would be admissible, would be to say, okay, look, we're not going to rely solely on the dog's alert or indication. Uh, we're going to we're going to expect or we're going to proceed only if we have the odor and something else. So again, if you stop a vehicle and you've got the odor or you, whatever, you run a dog around the car, um, don't, you, know, you may not want to search the car or see, continue to seize that car unless you have the odor and furtive gestures, odor and statements, odor and um, you know, rolling papers or some other indication that the person is in possession of marijuana. It doesn't have to push you into probable cause uh, because, we're, again, we're not talking about whether there's probable cause or not. We're talking about whether or not you'd be lawfully allowed under this code section to search. Um, 
Interestingly, the General Assembly allows, though, in this code section, that you can continue to search based solely on the odor in two situations. The first is at an airport. Uh, in an airport, you could you could proceed to search, seize, or stop a person, or search or seize a thing, or uh, search or seize a, a place based solely on the odor of marijuana. That is still allowable at an airport. And it is also still allowable in a commercial motor vehicle. So if you're doing a commercial motor vehicle inspection and you smell odor of marijuana, you can still act solely on the basis of the odor of marijuana in that circumstance. Regarding criminal procedure, um, there was a really significant change. It won't change your daily work as a law enforcement officer, but you should be aware of this. That essentially takes away the ability for the Commonwealth to demand a jury in a sentencing situation. Uh, it's been very common for many years that if, you, if the Commonwealth goes to trial, the Commonwealth would ask for a jury, or the defense would ask for a jury, but the defendant would have to face a jury's sentence. The General Assembly took that away and said basically it's up to the defendant whether he wants to be sentenced by a judge or a jury. It's no longer in the hands of the Commonwealth or the court. And that's a significant change. Uh, you'll have to talk to your prosecutors about the effect of this in your jurisdiction. It will depend upon your jurisdiction and the jurors and so on. But you should expect that this will see a very significant increase in the number of jury trials. Many defendants didn't uh, go to trial by jury because they didn't want to be held responsible by a jury. They didn't want to have to face sentencing by a jury because the community uh, would likely be, you know, perhaps outraged by their conduct or they would, you know, issue a sentence that they thought was fair. Uh, and what we typically find is that people tend to think that fair sentences are very different than what trial judges think are fair sentences. So uh, you're going to see, I think, a lot more jury trials. The data seems to bear out to be a lot more jury trials. In fact, the argument for this code section was defendants are not taking jury trials because they're afraid of jury sentencing. So obviously, if they're not afraid of jury sentencing more, they're going to ask for more jury trials. There will be more jury trials um, because that's what, they're, that's what the goal of this was, to have more jury trials. So that's going to be a, a, a really significant change. And now your judges will be, in, uh, able to sentence, will be asked to sentence in a lot of these cases. So um, just be ready for that. That's a big change. Um, the, the General Assembly, in two bills, a House bill and a Senate bill, added a code section for carnal knowledge of a detainee. Uh, uh, so it's unlawful to have carnal knowledge of somebody who's arrested, you've arrested or detained. Not really a surprise. Um, there, the General Assembly also changed a couple code sections on punishment. Uh, this one of them that was significant was um, not significant, but it's significant right now in the middle of COVID. You know, the, the governor really only has one option for a punishment for a violation of one of his emergency orders, like, you know, wearing a mask or quarantining or um, uh, being in a group of less than five or 20. Today, yesterday, the announcement was 25 people. The code basically said the only possible punishment he could choose was a class one misdemeanor. Uh, the General Assembly added the ability now for him to simply, uh, in his emergency orders, uh, ask for a civil penalty of $500. And you've seen some reluctance, I think, to, you know, jail people for in, uh, gathering in groups of greater than, you know, whatever the rule is, 10 or 25 or 500 or whatever. Uh, and so this option was, was added. The General Assembly also added a code section that uh, enhances the penalty for false report to law enforcement. If you make a false report to law enforcement based upon somebody's race, religious conviction, gender, disability, gender identity, sexual orientation, color, or national origin, that is and can be enhanced to a class six felony. Um, and one other change is, uh, oh, and they clarified too that uh, if you do give somebody a ticket for marijuana, uh, 
that it is prepayable. So if you give them a civil penalty ticket, you know, for civil possession of marijuana, that they can now prepay that. That was not clear. I I expected that the Supreme Court was going to fix that <clears throat> in their schedule of prepayable offenses, but the General Assembly just stepped in and said, we want it to be prepayable. So now if you give somebody a ticket, they can prepay that. Um, a, uh, a really significant change in punishment in Virginia is Senate Bill 5034 and Senate Bill 5148. And this is the Earned Sentence Credits Code section. What it says now is inmates have always been able to earn sentence credits in Virginia. When we eliminated parole in Virginia uh, about 30 years ago, we enacted something called Earned Sentence Credits, and inmates could earn up to 4.5 days a month. Essentially, they could earn about credits for about 15% of their sentence. So a, a, an inmate who's sentenced and everything from grand larceny to murder would serve up to 85% of their sentence, unless it was a mandatory minimum, they'd serve up to 85% of their sentence, uh, but they could earn credit for that last 15% and, and, and earn early release. The General Assembly has expanded that Built those credits now. And so now the credits range from zero if you don't earn anything, if you're a bad inmate and you've done nothing, uh, but up to 15 days for every 30 days that you serve. So now somebody who's engaging in lots of programs and doing everything that's asked of them and so on in jail can earn every month up to 15 days of earned sentence credits for every 30 days that they serve. And they can raise or lower their classification uh, based on participation in and cooperation with programs, job assignments, and educational curriculums. This, uh, this applies to almost any felony in Virginia with a very small handful of exceptions of violent felonies. I'll talk about this in a second. So what this means is if I'm convicted of burglary uh, or drug distribution, you know, methamphetamine distribution um, of whatever amount, you know, maybe it's a huge amount of methamphetamine, um, if I go, if I get a 20 year sentence, but I'm earning my sentence credits, I could get out in as, you know, potentially, theoretically, I could get out in as early as 10 years. And this is retroactive. So what this means is that this applies to all inmates in Virginia right now. It goes into effect in January 1 of 2022, but the credits can go all the way back. So uh, this means that you may have people who are serving long sentences on, you know, maybe a series of burglaries or distributions or, you know, whatever, a whole series of offenses, um, and their earned sentence credits are retroactive, so they may suddenly be getting out all at once in January of 2022. Uh, and you may be like, Where are, well, how come all these people are out? I thought they got 10 years or five years or whatever, and suddenly they're out in half their time. Um, they also added a code section that provides that a person who's terminally ill, that is to say, they've got an injury, disease, or illness, and their prognosis is they will, get, they will, they will not survive more than the next 12 months, um, they can petition the parole board for conditional release. They may not get it, but they can petition the parole board for conditional release. These earned sentence credits and these uh, uh, conditional release for terminal ill patients do not apply to a small list of violent felony offenses. And you should read the code for the full list, but we're talking about uh, capital felonies, first and second degree murder, felony murder, kidnapping, abduction, malicious wounding, felony stalking, felony protective order violation, robbery, carjacking, rape, certain sexual assaults, uh, burglary, if it's with the intent to commit murder, rape, robbery, or arson, regular burglary, you still get their own sentencing credits, child prostitution, Child pornography, if it's not your first offense. So first offense, child pornography, you still get the earned sentence credit. Um, some felony child abuse under 40.1, uh, 
uh, and some felony animal animal cruelty. The code has a full list. Those you don't get earned sentence credits on. Everything else you get an earned sentence credit on. So again, pretty significant change. Uh, and you know, obviously, you know, the effect on the incarcerated population remains to be seen. Um, you know, the DOC. There are a lot of people who get a lot of time for felony offenses, and most of those felonies obviously are not violent felonies, but they don't necessarily make up most of the prison population. So if the expectation is, oh, the prison system is going to get empty, you know, most of the people who are in prison are in prison because they've got a violent criminal history past. And what we don't know is, at this point, is, you know, this small list that don't get the earned sentence credits, how many prisoners fall into one of those categories. This is not the full list of violent felonies like possession of a firearm by convicted felon, for example, right? That kind of stuff. That list is a different list. Uh, that's not what this list is. So it remains to be seen how many people will be released in early 2022. But, uh, you know, could be a lot. Um, the last code section I want to mention here that was passed in this special session uh, is Senate Bill 5030. And this set a bunch of restrictions on equipment purchases. Um, this was uh, an attempt to stop law enforcement from purchasing, you know, I don't know, military-style equipment. Um, the list is a sort of unusual list. I don't know if it's anything that anybody was planning to buy anyway. Um, but here's the list of stuff that you can't buy without special permission from the General Assembly, or indeed you cannot use, without not from, uh, from the General Assembly, from DCJS. You can't even use, if you already have it, you have to get special permission from DCJS to even use it if you've already got it in possession. So here's what the limitations are. Uh, weaponized, unmanned aerial vehicles. I'm shocked if anybody has one of those. Um, aircraft that are configured for combat or combat-coded and have no established commercial flight application. So again, I mean, if you we're planning on buying an F-16, I guess. Um, grenades or similar explosives or grenade launchers from a surplus program operated from the by the federal government. So if you're looking at this and you're like, well, is a, is a diversionary device a grenade? Here again, it would be from a surplus program operated by the federal government. That's the limitation. Um, armored multi-wheeled vehicles that are mine resistant, ambush protected, and configured for combat, otherwise known as MRAPs if it's from a surplus program operated by the federal government. So again, can you have a vehicle that somebody couldn't shoot you in, um, that you can drive you know, off-road? Yeah, but if it's mine resistant and it's ambush protected and it's configured for combat and it's from a surplus program over the federal government, then you have to get special permission from DCS to buy it. Uh, bayonets, if you were excited about getting bayonets for some reason, you can't do that anymore. I don't know if you had bayonets. I don't know who has bayonets. Firearms of 50 caliber or higher, and ammunition of 50 caliber or higher. Um, you know, interestingly here, ammunition, I mean, if you're using uh, like gas from, if you're using a, a, you know, a propelled gas cartridge, in theory, you could argue that's ammunition, and obviously it's 50 caliber, it's higher than 50 caliber, um, you know, or if it's, you know, uh, OC, but it's from a, you know, a launcher or something like that. So that's, you're going to have to figure that out with DCJS, what the deal is. They may come up with a waiver for that. I mean, it's, it's ammunition in a sense. So I would talk to DCJS and see what their policy is going to be. And weaponized tracked armored vehicles, in other words, tanks. Um, so if you're going to get a tank and it's going to have a weapon on it, like a cannon or a machine gun, I don't know, I guess, sorry, you can't do that anymore. I, who does that? Um, 
so there you go. That is the special session. Uh, that is the new legislation for the special session, and the special session is over. The general session starts uh, in early January, and we will continue to keep you updated on the new bills and so on that come in the general session. There's no guarantee that anything you know that died the special session will come back. In fact, there's certain bills that we know are going to come back in the general session, so I'll continue to keep you updated on that. But for today, uh, that's all from me. That's all from Big E. Stay safe and don't get captured.